On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the idea of a museum in Hamilton, specifically a Hamilton museum. We've got museums. Do we need a Hamilton museum? We'll talk about that. And Nick Bontis, the president of Canada Soccer, still a little chilly from the other night in Edmonton, joins us to talk about that team and that game and bringing other teams here from the Caribbean and then turning them into ice cubes. All fun. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We're working, it seems, towards some kind of museum for Hamilton. Uh, this was back in front of council again today, the idea of a Hamilton museum, a, a centralized sort of Hamilton museum of some kind that celebrates the history of our city and tells the story of the city. The question is, is this something we should be doing? And if it is, how should we be doing it? And how much money should we spend on it? And who should be? There's a lot of questions that go with this. I think most people, though, probably to some degree would say, yeah, in some form, we should have some kind of Hamilton Museum. Most cities do. Cities with pride in their history and pride in themselves, they celebrate themselves. Dermot Nolan is with the Hamilton Museum Citizens Committee. He was at council today. He joins us now. Dermot, thank you for the time today. Oh, hi, Scott. So are you getting the sense, uh, I know this was a staff report that was being put together and came back in front of council today about what to do, but are you getting the sense this is going to happen or do we know yet? Well, today was a huge day um, in, 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 uh, in the journey to, uh, to realizing a, a Hamilton Museum. Um, you know, we're, we're, our city's 175 years old this year, as you know, and uh, it's frankly an embarrassment that uh, a city such as ours, with a history as amazing as ours, doesn't have a municipal museum. It has a number of wonderful uh, site-specific and subject-specific museums like Dundurn Castle and Whitehern and Battlefield House and all of those kinds of museums. But there's no Hamilton Museum, and uh, it's, it's, it's frankly uh, astonishing because... If you look around Ontario at other municipalities, uh, there's hardly a one that doesn't have a museum to celebrate uh, the, the community and, and the history of the community. So this is something that has been uh, ad- advocated for, for decades and, and generations, but, but it's never come to pass, and uh, it needs to come to pass. Um, and uh, today, uh, for the first time, um, the uh, City Council uh, at its uh, General Issues Committee um, uh, unanimously um, endorsed a, a motion by Mayor Eisenberger uh, that, that was uh, uh, seconded by uh, Councillor Farr uh, that specifically directed uh, the um, city staff to work with uh, actually our uh, uh, the citizens committee to continue to explore opportunities to house a Hamilton Museum in a new or existing facility and also to explore opportunities with the uh, federal and provincial governments uh, for cultural funding to support the development of a physical and a virtual Hamilton Museum. We also took a, an important step last year, uh, and it's just about to be launched in, in, um, in celebration of the 175th birthday of Hamilton uh, by having a, a virtual uh, museum uh, uh, created, first sort of baby steps of a, of a Hamilton Museum, and, and uh, that's about to be launched and on November 30th, and, and that's going to be a, a great first step. And certainly any physical museum down the road is also going to in, in, include a, 
a substantial virtual component, obviously, on uh, that's every museum in the world uh, has uh, taken advantage of that kind of technology. But the importance of a physical uh, central um, gathering place to celebrate the city and, and celebrate its past and, and, and its future and its present, for that matter, uh, is something that's long overdue. And I think uh, City Council took a, a major step forward today uh, along the road to that. To that, Dermot, to you, that dream. you, by the sounds of it, you believe or you feel that a physical facility is a requirement here as opposed to just a virtual museum. Is that, am I reading that right? Absolutely. I, I, I think they, I think we need both. And, and, uh, I, I think one, one is not, uh, should never be designed as, as a replacement of the other. Um, and, and, you know, if you think about it, uh, uh, a virtual museum isn't isn't uh, isn't exactly a place where tourists are going to come and visit and, and experience the city and and uh, the virtual museum you can't put your hands on on, on uh, artifacts and and uh, historical records and documents and the kinds of things that you would find in a, in a in a physical museum but more importantly a physical museum is actually a focal point that that that, it, that becomes the hub of the wheel for all the museums in the area and and also um, uh, the the the, uh, the centerpiece of of a of a museum network that that goes out and connects with the community in uh, where the community lives but you you can't do that in a vacuum you 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 need a central place i call it uh, i call it uh, i like to think of it as as hamilton's place uh and it it would be much more than simply a, a, a dusty old museum it would it would be a well, and, place where everything Dermot, where everything let, hamilton happens let me jump in for a sec because that i think is where some people in the city have grown a little gun shy because the last sort of big museum that people think about was the canadian football hall of fame and museum and it was pretty much a disaster. I mean, they would get maybe three people a day coming through there and it was in a prominent location right on, right beside city hall. And people look and they go, yeah, but it, it was that dusty old hands-on, but boring museum. How do we make sure if we do this, that what you're talking about actually draws people and inspires people to come as opposed to just being there? Well, the interesting thing is that as part of this uh, strategy, um, document that was put forward today, um, and that's been eight years in the making and is actually designed to um, act as the blueprint for museums in Hamilton for the next eight years. Um, there was attached uh, to the report, not the actual strategy document, but to the report, there was attached a report from um, Civic Plan, a local um, planning consulting firm, that undertook an extensive uh, public consultation in 2019 um, that uh, that included um, uh, consideration of the Hamilton Museum, and there were a couple of very interesting uh, results from that. One was that 95 percent, or was it 99? It was something like that. 90, 95 or 99 percent of the of the respondents uh, were very satisfied or satisfied with the existing physical museums in Hamilton, which are very popular. I, I think your example of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame is an anomaly. It, it, it was a, it, it was, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that, that was not successful. But they, they're not reasons that, 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 that would affect, uh, the other, the other Hamilton museums, which are very popular and prior to the pandemic were very well attended. 
and were very well received by the public as as measured by the consulting group but also the same uh, the same consultation resulted in a in, in a finding that the majority of the people in Hamilton actually say that there is a need for a Hamilton museum there should be a Hamilton physical Hamilton museum so uh, the, the the public understands why it is so important to have a physical central museum for a community. It goes way beyond the old traditional notion of museum and the, the, uh, the people that are working on the museums and the museum strategy and our Hamilton staff, they understand that museums are changing, that the whole concept of a museum is changing, and it's, and it's not changing to the exclusion of physical plant it's 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 an it's enhancing and 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 making the physical experience that much better so we're we've got people who are on the cutting edge of of uh, museum thinking in in canada uh, in, on our staff and and they're on they're on top of that and uh so i'm i i i'm uh, i have no doubt that that the um, physical museum of hamilton would be a huge uh, uh, asset to our community and 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 uh, tremendously popular. Dermot, I, I, I'm going to squeeze you here because I only have 30 seconds and I apologize, but just one thing. Uh, I love history. I mean, I, I think I, I generally agree with what you're saying, that we really should have something like this, but is this the time to be doing it when we have seemingly so many other needs in the city that have to be attended to that require money or should we be putting this off for a bit until we get some things sorted out? Oh, Scott, that's a question that would come up at any time in the in the last 175 years. Somebody would say, "Well, is this the time?" Well, when is the time? I mean, we we've been waiting for this for 175 years. If we put it off with the uh, with the uh, initiative that has been taken by City Council here, if we put it off further. Uh, it's it'll it'll continue to languish and and mm. our community will be that much poorer because of that. Dermot Nolan with the Hamilton Museum Citizens Committee. I uh, really appreciate your time, Dermot. Thanks for doing this today. Hey, Scott, good to talk to you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last night, I don't know how many of you were watching around here. I know from the early numbers how many Canadians were watching. Well over a million, it turns out, it seems, in early TV ratings, rankings. Um, Canada beat Mexico in a World Cup qualifying soccer match. Now, I grant you that for some of you, this is enormous news, no matter what the circumstance. For some of you, this would be not interesting under most circumstances, but it is now. And I think the reason is because there's a number of reasons. One, Canada's men's soccer team, which mm, has had its troubles over the years, is doing really well. And two, the environment playing that game against Mexico in Edmonton in November in a deep freeze was, um, well, it was hysterical. Let's put it that way. It was It was kind of funny. Um, I don't know if the Mexican people, the Mexican players thought it was funny, but most Canadians did. Nick Bontis, Mac professor. He is also Canada's soccer, the Canada soccer president. He is just back in town from Edmonton. He joins us now. Nick, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. I imagine you are. You thought out yet? I am thought out. It was uh, freezing uh, last night. It was snowy. It was cold. It was windy, but I'm telling you that there was no, no more warmth than I've felt with, uh, you know, 50,000 fans 
uh, it was definitely a, a rude awakening for the Mexicans. I could just imagine them kind of walking out into the stadium, just wondering, what am I doing here? How am I going to play in this environment? But you know what? For years and years and decades and decades, you know, they would force us Canadians to play in stifling environments, you know, at the Azteca Stadium in, in, in Mexico City in, in, in massive heat and, you know, with, with altitude or down in Honduras or Panama. And, you know, we just decided, hey, let's uh, return the favor and see if you guys can perform. So two back-to-back massive wins against two very, very large, prominent clubs in uh in uh, CONCACAF, both uh, Costa Rica and uh, Mexico, and to slay both of them was uh, was huge news, leaving us uh, top of the table, first place now in CONCACAF, which is amazing. You mentioned that the decision was made. I think those were your words. So explain the, I don't know if you were involved in the meetings or part of it when the decision was made to decide, because you could have put it in Toronto at BMO, I guess, if that was available. You could have put it a number of other places in in BC, at, at BC Place. You chose the frozen tundra really i know that's lambeau field but the idea what was the thought process behind that well that was the thought process it was you know let's make it uncomfortable for the competition um you know there's also several members of the team that are from out west in alberta including of course alfonso davies who was uh, raised in edmonton so it was a a coming home for him uh having not played uh in his hometown since he uh, actually left us for Bayern munich so uh, a lot of reasons, um, you know, and, and this is not a decision that's taken lightly. Obviously, this is uh, something that the technical staff and head coach John Herdman, uh, you know, they go through very, very detailed analysis of where to play uh, home matches. I mean, it, there's also implications with regards to travel. You know, where is the, the competition flying from? Where do they have to fly to? Uh, at the end of the day, you will do whatever you can to make it possible to give you whatever advantage you can have. Yeah, I, I can imagine you guys sitting in that room, kind of cackling like evil Bond villains as you as you hatch this idea. <laughs> yeah, because it yeah, was and there, it was it, ha- it happens with every FIFA window, obviously. Right. Um, you know, we, we our next FIFA window. There's six games left to determine who will go to the World Cup. Uh, two FIFA windows of three games each. The next one is at the end of January, uh, and that one, uh, you know, the, the the meetings and discussions have already started. You know, I met with uh, with John Herdman and his technical staff in the terminal at the airport in Edmonton. So we've already started discussions as to where we think we're going to have that game. Well, Nick, since you mentioned that, I saw something on Twitter today that was suggesting that Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton may be in the mix for a game against the States in the next window. Any truth to that? So, I, I mean, obviously I can't comment. Uh, we have not made any official decisions, but what I can tell you is whatever stadium is available and open, you know, which would include all the larger stadiums in Canada, you know, going all the way out west to, to BC Place, returning to Edmonton, potentially Winnipeg, obviously BMO Field, Toronto, uh, and, and off into Quebec. So a, any of those large, you know, uh, stadiums that are obviously FIFA approved uh, would be eligible. So just one more thing, and again, I know you can't say the answer to this right now, but the fact that Tim Hortons Field has artificial turf as opposed to natural grass, that doesn't preclude it? No, no, because obviously, you know, the game uh, last night was on was on uh, artificial turf, right? So, uh, you know, the Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton, uh, both those games were uh, obviously at Commonwealth, which is on turf as well. So when it comes to qualifying matches, uh, you know, turf versus grass, um, you know, that, that decision uh, does have some play, but games can be played on, uh, on turf in terms of qualification matches. Let's get to the national team here for uh, a few moments, because um, 
and going way back here, when I was in middle school, my first soccer coach was a guy named Dick Howard. I know you know who Dick is. Right. Many people listening will know who Dick was. And he he was helping. He was part of the group that was helping and coaching Canada last time Canada qualified for the World Cup. And I mentioned that only to point out that the, from when I was in middle school until now is a long, long time. Now, I know we haven't qualified yet for the World Cup, but um, we're getting very, very close or a whole lot closer. Things have obviously changed over the last number of years. Yeah, I mean, it's 1986 uh, was the last time that obviously we were in the World Cup in Mexico. And in fact, you were talking about places to play. The last game that Canada played to qualify for the 86 World Cup was in St. John's, Newfoundland. So, uh, you know, another potential spot uh, that's available. And I mean, frankly, if we need to play in the Arctic Circle to get some of these Central American (laughs) countries to be uncomfortable, we'll do it. So, uh, but, you know, to answer your question, you know, you know, the results last night and, you know, in the past year, because let's be honest, the men's team has been in an ascendancy for the last 12 months. Uh, You know, we have one of the, the, the best records of any nation in the world. We've scored more goals in World Cup qualification than any nation in the world in the last 12 months. And let's not forget, Scott, it's not just the men. <laughs> the women just came of back course. with a gold medal uh, from Tokyo. So, you know, this is unprecedented in terms of history, you know, to have both our men and our women to be in the ascendancy of, of the footballing world uh, is something that you don't, you know, it's not synonymous with the word Canada. You know, it might be synonymous with the word Brazil or the word Germany, but for Canada, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves on, on developing what we call a soccer nation. As you know, I'm a strategy professor, and part of my initial foray into Canada soccer 10 years ago was to work on the strap plan. And, uh, you know, for, for, for a strategy uh, for Canada to be considered a, a, a soccer nation, you know, we see the fruits of that labor that started maybe 10 years ago with, a, with an investment in the MLS academies, as you know, Toronto FC, Montreal, and Vancouver, and all, you know, building of the youth and professionalizing you know, the soccer enterprise uh, in Canada with, you know, certification and coaches and, and more importantly on the men's side in the last three years with CPL and Forge being the dominant club in the CPL, you know, with another just, uh, you know, epic performance qualifying for the Scotiabank CONCACAF Champions League, as you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, at that game in Tim Hortons Field, I was at that game. So, you know, we have these amazing results and slowly but surely, Canadians are taking notice. You're right. You know, 1.2 million people watched uh, the team last night on TV. Uh, you know, again, unprecedented. And as this qualification campaign continues, you know, into January, February, and March, what, what I predict is a crescendo of attention that will only bode well both for the men's program and the women's program. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, and and really, I mean, I don't know that. Um... The the place that sort of strikes me that this built was in. Um in the Olympics in 2012, when the women played really that game against the States that in the semifinal in the Olympics, the Christine St. Clair hat trick, what an amazing game that was. And the fact that, and here's the weirdest part about that game. You can tell me that you think I'm entirely crazy on this. The fact that Canada, that the women lost that game and the way they did because of the calls and everything else, I think them losing did more to get people engaged in that than even if they'd won that game. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, obviously winning would have been better, but I mean, I remember exactly where I was. You were you know, furious. Everybody was. And, and, and everybody, it's one of those moments, you know, like landing on the moon. It's, uh, it's, it's unforgettable. And, and the referee making that, you know, six second call, which is an unheard of call in, in, in modern football. But, um, you know, we've had fantastic memories, you know, kudos to John, you know, having, you know, built that women's program to back to back to back Olympic medals, which again is unprecedented. And then to, 
to have John move over to the men's program and, and now slowly but surely starting to do the same, you know, it's a fantastic achievement, not only for John, but all the technical staff and, and, and frankly, for all of Canada soccer. I've got to be honest with you, Scott, uh, you know, I, I was elected president a year ago. I've been president a year. Uh, this was the first time these last couple of days where I actually physically saw people because we've had this problem hmm. called the global pandemic for the last year, <laughs> uh, you know, where little kids uh, have not been allowed to play soccer outside. Uh, you know, clubs have not been allowed to play. You know, if you look at Forge FC and Toronto FC, for example, you know, they've had restrictions. So, uh, you know, it it hurt us in terms of development. And, uh, you know, what we've done is we've really come out of this pandemic, you know, with, with uh, you know, our, our, our fire just blazing. Uh, so it's uh, I'm very, very excited about what's left to come. We've left 2021 with such a massive bang. I, I just can't wait for 2022. You touched on some of the things that have been done to develop with the academies and leagues mm-hmm. and everything else that are starting. Is this, is what's happening the result of development almost entirely, or is there also some good fortune that we now have and have with Christine Sinclair on the women's side with Alfonso Davies and the men, we've got a number of world, world-class excellent players who have all right. arrived at the same time, which you need to be able to compete. Is, yeah. is there some good fortune in this? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, you're, you're probably referring to what people often talk about as a golden generation, but sure. I, don't really, I don't really believe in the, in the concept of golden generation. I, I think there's golden players that just come along, and you know, what you have to do is just have the right environment, the right staff and, and teammates surrounding that, that individual to, to, to leverage that opportunity. And, and I think on the women's side, I mean, although Christine is now you know, you know, she's the, the top goal scorer on the planet in history, She's also up there in age, let's be honest, but that hasn't stopped the performance of the women's team, as you know. So, uh, you know, you can argue that Christine is, is a once-in-a-lifetime, once, you know, once-in-a-generation player, but we've been able to backfill uh, the players to help support her and, and win the gold medal. You know, soccer is a team sport. You know, there's 11 players on the field and another, you know, seven on the sidelines. You know, one player is not going to make a, the biggest difference. And on the men's side, the same thing. I mean, we talk about Alfonso Davies being, you know, one of the best players on the planet in his position. Uh, but you can look at last night's performance and, and the performance a few nights ago as well. And although Alfonso and, and you know was was dominant in his role, there were so many other players that stepped up their game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're lucky. Um, you know, these are players that come through that that John has been able to identify and leverage and and put together in in, in such a configuration to make sure that Canada's performing at its best. Uh, you mentioned about John. We had a really interesting debate on the show the other day, and I want to get your thought on this one because um, I don't want to take, I will take nothing away from him, by the way, even with this debate. But you talk about Christine Sinclair, Alfonso Davies. Is John Herdman a miracle worker with what he's been able to do? <laughs> or is he a guy, a very, very good coach with impeccable timing that's been able to take advantage right. of the players that right. he has? Well, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's a miracle worker because we, we, we haven't, you know, performed any miracles yet per se. I mean, we win the bloody World Cup in 2022. Okay, that, that would okay, be defined as a miracle. Fair enough. Uh, but, I mean, look, it, I, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, w- w- when, when John was transferred over from the women's side to the men's side, that was not a palatable decision that was accepted by fans, by media, by, by a lot of people. I mean, it, it, it's quite unorthodox. It's unprecedented. I, I don't recall any coach actually ever in, in, in football go from women's coaching to men's coaching. So we did something that was very, very unorthodox, um, you know, but 
I look back now at that decision. That decision was pivotal because John brought that professionalism and passion to the men's side that he had already established on the women's side. And let's not forget, you know, John's assistant coach on the women's side was Bev Priestman. So Bev had the opportunity to job shadow John all those years. And now Bev takes over from John on the women's side and she goes and gets a bloody Olympic gold medal. So, um, you know, the, it, it's not just one person. It's, it, it, it's all the systems that are in place surrounding that individual and all the technical staff. John's a big supporter of sports science as well. So, you know, we've invested in analytics. We've invested in nutrition. We've invested in, you know, cognitive health of athletes I and mean, all the modern science having to do with high-performance athletes. So it's, uh, it, it's great because John works really hard. I mean, I, I, I was speaking, you know, watching the game yesterday. I had the Mexican Federation, you know, senior leadership and sitting next to me. Of course, they weren't as happy as I was during the game. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I told them, I go, listen, John, you know, he's going to take a break today. He's going to spend some time with, you know, his wife and his kids. But I guarantee you, Thursday comes at 6 a.m., he will be up and working his butt off getting ready for those matches in, in, in January. So that's just the type of individual he is. All right. So, um, I, this is probably not the discussion, this part of the discussion that you love, but I, I'm going to admit it that I, for many years of my life, just assumed and expected that I would go through my life with Canada's men's soccer team being terrible because that was all <laughs> the history that I ever had. <laughs> and I, I was talking to someone else today and I said, I, you know, from it's 35 years since that World Cup appearance. Yeah. I don't know what the median age of Canadians is, but we've got to be getting close to half of Canadians. We're not alive for that. We've gone sure. through sure. a long time of crappy men's soccer that has now yeah. turned the table. Is this now sustainable or is this a blip that we're going to enjoy and then go back somehow? I mean, obviously, I hope so. Uh, I hope it's sustainable. I hope that this is the the, the spark that we needed not only to move forward for 2022 World Cup, but also, as you know, the, 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 the big, big, big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, Scott, is 2026. I mean, this is what, you know, we're all looking forward to. This is why I became president. Uh, this is a once, forget about generation, once in a lifetime opportunity to host the largest sporting event on the planet. And, and you know, the World Cup is already massive, but in 2026, it's going to be double massive because, as you know, uh, there are going to be way more countries involved There's, uh, in terms of playing, 48 countries. There's three countries that are hosting. Um, you know, this morning, um, you know, we, the FIFA inspections uh, took place uh, in Edmonton uh, to make sure that Commonwealth was up to snuff for being a host city. Um, you know, I'll be involved with the uh, FIFA delegation when they go to Toronto and BMO Field next week. Obviously, BMO Field is going to require some expansion construction to meet FIFA standards. But... You know, all these investments, Scott, not just in terms of the World Cup venues, but this is, you know, you were talking about Hamilton and Tim Hortons Field. This is where Tim Hortons Field comes in. Tim Hortons Field absolutely will be a host site, maybe for some exhibition matches or maybe a hosting site for a country. You can imagine if Italy makes it to the World Cup and says, hey, we choose to spend a whole month in the beautiful city of Hamilton training every day at Tim Hortons Field. You could imagine what that would do for the community here in Hamilton. Uh, yeah, yeah. Make that happen, Nick. You're, you're the boss. Make that happen. Um, I'm trying, and one other thing, and one other thing to make happen. I think you should, after what we saw last night, I think you should put a motion forward to move the world cup to November and December of 2026 (laughs) so that all those countries that come here freeze their butts off. 
Absolutely. Let me tell you, man, it was, it, I don't know what the weather was like here in Hamilton, but it was biting cold. I mean, I, I came out of the airport <laughs> here in Toronto and I was like, oh my God, it's so mild here today, but it was biting cold. But I don't know how many of your viewers uh, have uh, this image seared in their brains. And if they didn't get a chance to see it live, you know, encourage them to go onto Twitter and, and check it out. But when we score that second goal to see all the players celebrating in the snow and then to see Sam Adekube jump into a pile of snow, it was just so vintage Canadian. I, I still cry when I see that scene. That will be, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen if anybody got the still photo of that one, but if they did, that will be the the shot that we remember this game Absolutely. by. The, one the, that photo gets... that, the photo that set us on course for 2026, jumping in the snow like a true Canadian soccer player. <laughs> well, the fingers are crossed and the toes are crossed and all the rest of the yeah. stuff uh, that that does happen. Nick Bontis, I will let you go. I know you've had a long day. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. All the best. Take care. That is Nick Bontis, Canada soccer president. Boy, I mean, McMaster professor, Hamilton guy. Talk about, talk about great timing. We were asking about, you know, the timing of the golden generation or of John Herdman. Nick Bontis being elected as president of Canada soccer now, as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago when our team was, um, you know, now talk about perfect timing there. There is a man who's got timing. Who, who would have wanted to be president of Canada soccer during the dark days of the eighties? Well, not the eighties so much, the nineties and onward who wouldn't want to be president of Canada soccer. He now gets to go. I mean, they go to the World Cup. Guess who's going to be going? They go to the qualifying matches. Guess who's going to be going? Boy, timing. It's all about timing. It's always about timing. And clearly Nick has some of that. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.